This presentation of In Their Own Words is dedicated to the brave men and women of the United States Armed Forces. D-Day, 1944. In the darkness over war-torn Germany, planes can be heard. A few men jump out and parachute into the dark abyss below. These are the men who go into action before the paratroopers, before the landing troops. They are the U.S. Army's pathfinders, responsible for establishing a toehold and marking the drop zones for the paratroopers. Landing in the black of night, they set up radar beacons and lit the fires that would guide the men who would turn the tide of war. Tom McCarthy was a sergeant in the American 82nd Airborne. But the trail to his D-Day adventures took a long and winding path through the greatest of world wars. It all started when he joined the Army as a paratrooper. I had uh, had a, my my parents would not sign for me to join the army because I wasn't 21. So when I turned 21, I decided that I was going into the service, and I tried the various branches, and I, I wanted to get into the Marines, but I was a half an inch too short. So uh, I never had an inclination to join the Air Corps. They they weren't my style, but anyway, what I did was. Uh, I, well, I got dwelling on it. I, I, I'm, I'm going in. My mind was made up on that. So uh, this is a story in itself. One day I was working. I was laying brick at that time. And uh, I wasn't too far from the post office in Worcester. Put my, t my tools in my tool bag, and I, I said to the boss, Hey, Frank, I'll be back later. I walked up Madison Street to the post office, walked into the recruiting office, and, and there were some other guys there, and they said, I want to join the Army. So strange as it may be, he looked at me and he says, well, what, what branch are you thinking of? I said, I'm going to be a paratrooper. Right over here, he said. I never got home. <laughs> I never got home. I still remember it because I had 35 cents in my pocket. He sent me to Fort Devens. And, and uh, I, I, I called Collect from there to tell my mother I was in the Army. <laughs> she, she didn't quite believe it, but I was in the army, all right. I was my best. I was five foot five and a half inches, about 128 pounds. Didn't have an inferiority complex, but everything was always an uphill fight. So I figured I'll start at the top and work down. What the hell? This, if there was something better than that, I didn't know what it was, and uh, uh, that was about it. Uh, uh, uh. I don't think I gave an awful lot of thought at that age uh, whether any any of the dangers or any of those things involved. I looked forward to it more as some kind of an adventure, jumping out of one of those planes. That sounded like a pretty good idea for an afternoon. That's the way it went. Past that, I, I had no idea in the world. Because, you, you, you know, the, the, there, was, there was nothing to look back on. So was not, never, never dawned on me, truthfully, never dawned on me. Never thought that much ahead. And there they sent me down to, uh, from Devons I went down to Camp Croft to get some basic infantry training. And it was there that I, uh, I was not at that time uh, a paratrooper, nor actually, according to the Army's method, uh, nor, nor was I a, a candidate for what they would do is uh, uh, they would send uh, groups through 
to interview and to test you physically. I had a little problem there. I had no, no problems mentally or physically, except I was short. In those days, they were more stringent. You had, had to be at least five foot six inches tall, and you couldn't be over six feet. Now, this is in, this is in the beginning. And no matter if I stood on my toes, I couldn't make the five foot six. So they, they, they uh, rejected me the first time for being too short, and, and my friends were going, and I felt kind of left out. But they came back again, and uh, I went back and took it again. Physical was no problem. I could run through that. I, I could, what, they, they couldn't even. I was a good athlete. I know that, and I'm proud of it. So anyway, uh, after I, I took the physical test again, the, the same big sergeant reaches over and pushes me over in a in, in a line, you know, the rejects. And there was a captain there. <laughs> what am I own doing? He was an Irishman. And he looked at me and said, didn't I see you before? I said, yeah. I said, I can pass your test. That's nothing. I said, but he keeps telling me I'm too small. Grabbed me and pushed me over in the other line. That was it. So they sent me then to, we went to a, Banning for training, and when they act I was there when they activated the 82nd Airborne Division, which previously had been an infantry division. It had been an old uh, National Guard division, I think actually based on around Alabama, and they reactivated. Once in training, the young men were introduced to a number of new and frightening tasks. The first, and perhaps most memorable, was known simply as the Tower. What happened was that there were four arms, as I remember, that tower, and, and the, uh, they attached a canopy, a parachute canopy, to it. And uh, uh, you put your harness on when, when it was your turn. It, 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 there'd probably be four of you going up at a time for different arms up in the air and uh, at a certain height. I think it was some 400 feet, I'm not sure. They release you, and then, you know, you fold it down, and they were trying to simulate uh, uh, the drops. Uh, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't think it was a good simulation because uh, everything was perfect. It doesn't work that way. The real thing, no, nah, it doesn't work. It's, nothing is perfect. Yeah, there's an element of chance. You don't know exactly what's going to happen when you bail out of that thing. You open or it doesn't open. You hope that it does. There's guys all around you. If, if, if it gets too crowded, one of them will land on your, on your pillow up above, slightly deflated, give you a jolt, and your heart comes up in your mouth, simulating what would probably happen when you jumped out with, the, uh, with a static line. Uh, and you did. When you shoot open, you, 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 you did the nicest feeling in the world. Bang! Yeah, it's open. You know, that, that's, that's a good feeling. And, and uh, again, it, it helped. You know, it, it, uh, it was some indication, but I don't think we, most of us ever really put it together until you, until you made your first jump. But Tom McCarthy was not yet a pathfinder. He had a long way to go. The first step was out of an airplane on his initial combat jump into a place known as Sicily. Well, that was what, what uh, probably for us uh, an absolute disaster and a fiasco, as if you remember. A as that invasion was set up, the 3rd Battalion had gone in before the 1st and 2nd. They actually made their drop with the... Uh, with the Limeys, and, and uh, our call was right behind them. And at that time, the, uh, 
the the air core uh, it got, got no it wasn't the air core didn't really get involved the what happened is a few of the crouch came over see and the boys on the ground in the navy got a little excited naturally because you got to remember that they were probably all green too and uh, uh they opened up with the anti-aircraft and of course where the hell, who's the anti-aircraft? It's us in all C-47s, almost nothing more helpless in the world. That was a great display. When, when I, I can remember going out of that shoot and I'm, out of that door and I'm saying to myself, just like watching the fireworks at the 4th of July, except they're bouncing all around me. I mean, that, you know. said, so, oh boy, glad to get to the ground. And then, of course, we were badly disorganized. Uh, uh, I didn't join my unit for two days, actually, from the time I landed. I, I was disoriented when I first landed because it was dark. wasn't too sure where I was, but I knew what to do. Take care of myself and, and, and head for some high ground so you can see. The German, you know, he, he, was, he, was, he was a good fighter. I have to give him credit for that. He, he, he was a good fighter. And... Uh, uh, he invented some things, I guess, that the rest of us never knew about. So that was a hard one. It was a hard one. Everybody who made it, that was a hard one. But we got organized eventually. I wasn't alone for, for a day, maybe maybe day and a half. I, I, I was traveling to, towards where I heard the gunfire. Uh, and uh, I walked into a, a, a firefight, and I believe they, they were... Uh, uh, 505, a small unit of them, let's see, 505, I'm not sure, but uh, uh, I, I was only slightly in, involved in, in that because I came up while, while the fighting was going on. Uh, joining it was a little bit difficult without getting killed, but I, uh, uh, when it was over, the, the both sides had pulled back and, and uh, I, I was looking for our side to join, but I, I, I didn't reach them. And, and before I left on a hillside, I was in, and I stayed on the high ground so I could see, I, I, I stumbled across a, 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 a paratrooper had taken a shot right through the stomach and was still alive. His name was Boris. I remember it well. So I, I, I patched Boris up and I and I uh, uh, I loved him for oh must have been two days before we reached the uh, uh, our side and uh, uh, Boris went home. I heard afterwards from a guy who who he it was a guy a guy I met at a convention. He was telling a story about the guy and that, that had the hole right through him. So was his name Boris? Yeah. So I I know him. Boris made it all right. Once he got back to friendly territory, Tom was put in a plane to Central Africa, where he began his training as a pathfinder. But the military machine had at first another assignment in mind. Well, I think we were down around the holy city of Carawan, and that's where we left from originally, and that's where we went back to. Now, they, they were going to do some specialized training. They was going to do some uh, uh, mountain training and uh, uh, the mountains in Italy be, being very steep because we the the, the way the way the Euro Mountains go, 
the, 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 the steep part is in the south and they fall away to, to, to the north, the small slope, and those are the slopes that the Germans would have. They, they, they would be occupying, and to get to them, you've got to go up the hard way. So they, they, were, they were training guys for, uh, uh, to be uh, uh, mule skinners, and, and uh, for me, they, they picked me to, to go to mule skinning school. I didn't like that at all. I was a city kid, and I already know about those miserable damn mules. They're the meanest animals in the world. And that wasn't my style. They're a little over the weight for me. But I had a friend in A Company by the name of Pappy Fogel. Pappy was a real cowboy. He came out of Texas. Pappy was picked for Pathfinder School, and he, he didn't like that at all. That wasn't his style. And I said, well, Pappy, why don't we just change? You be a a mule skinner. I don't want anything to do with that, and I'll I'll, I'll be a pathfinder gladly. So, I I became a pathfinder just just like that, and that was good duty. Send us back to I think it was Agrigento. Plenty of jumping. I think we jumped a half a dozen times, and, and the training was it wasn't too much. They had some lights. Uh, uh, you'd, you'd jump with that package, or you, you'd jump with the radar package. The radar package was, was uh, it looked like a, uh, a barrack bag, only it was, uh, it, it was slimmer. It would stra strap to your leg. When you get out the plane, you'd release it, and it would hang down below your leg. It would take, one thing about it, it would take you right down where you wanted to go, because there wasn't going to be any, any oscillation in the sense, you know, you wasn't going to move much, like an anchor taking you down. Once Tom got started on his training, he knew that while becoming a Pathfinder was dangerous, it was also something very special. If anything, it was, it was a distinction because you know after you got the training, you know what you was going to do. You was going to be in there first and uh, you had a, a, a real job to do. You, you had to, to get that uh, drop zone lit up so that the main body would come in. and. Uh, my my personal assignment didn't take long for I was there. I got assigned to uh, to security. My job was to to uh, with the uh, a squad to uh, engage, in, engage as quick as we could, so that uh, who if we were getting any opposition, we had them occupied while while the the uh, the lights and the and the radar could get. Uh, underway. In the beginning, when they used to jump us over here, they, they used to give us uh, an envelope which you strapped on and your rifle was in it. But we quickly learned that that doesn't work. We jumped our rifle on our shoulder with the sling. You hung it over your shoulder, whichever, you're right-handed or left-handed, and that's the way you jumped so that what normally what happens is you, uh, you're coming in feet first, and chances are 10 to 1 that your feet are going to be there before, before your gun, so you don't smash the gun. And, and, uh, and at the same time, that gun's ready to go. All you've got to do is push one in the chamber. You didn't leave one in the chamber, but you just whoosh, there you go, and, 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 and you're ready to go, which... Uh, uh, it's kind of important. You couldn't fight around with them. Uh, them, I, I, they had a name for them. I don't know because I never bothered. I'll be honest. I, 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 I was a. I guess I, I was a little rebellious. I, 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 I wouldn't jump a, a, 
I wouldn't jump a, a, the emergency chute in combat unless they made me. And then if I got a chance, I dumped it. I wasn't going in there with baggage. I was small enough. I didn't need that damn weight. So, but there were other guys like me too. But the rifle, that's where they were. In, in fact, we were experimenting at Fort Bragg at the time. That's where we actually we started to jump that way. And uh, uh, I, I remember making a practice jump. They, uh, the problem they were having were taking the uh, light machine guns in because they were heavy. And I, I, I jumped a light machine gun the first time uh, they, they, to see how it would be. It, it was all right c coming in, the machine gun, but the problem with it was is that you, you're pretty occupied ho holding on to it and you've got to come in hard. Once on the ground, the job of the Pathfinders had just begun. What, what you're supposed to do is, first they give you a briefing, uh, and they indicate the area in which the, your, the main body is going in. And they have already chosen an area that would be large enough and, and uh, 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 well, what word should I use, well, uh, would be open enough. And, and, and then... Uh, what your job was to do was to get in there first and to light up the perimeter and to set up the the radar equipment and try to make uh, which which was actually to make contact whether they ever did or not i, I don't know but uh that was the job this and it's as i said the, the, you couldn't secure the area because there weren't enough of you. But the job for the security was to do was to engage and, and try to occupy them while the lights got underway. But the job, the Pathfinder's original job was to, to get to that CD, uh, uh, DZ, and to uh, get the lights working so that the planes could pick it on up and, and give them attack. Parachuting into combat meant more than carrying a few parcels. The soldiers had to be ready to fight, and fight hard. We we had already come out of Pathfinder School when they jumped in Salerno. Now we, we were we were at school over there in the in the airfields, and the uh, we we were never exactly briefed about where we would be going. Uh, we, we we did know that there was going to be a a, a jump coming up. And the, the rumor was, and it was a strong rumor, was that they, they were going to jump up near Rome and attempt to uh, uh, divide Italy and trap those German divisions that would be south of that area. That was the fastest, that was probably the fastest airborne operation that ever existed. Uh, 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 the word was out, the 30, the, 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 you're going to lose the, 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 the beachhead, get some reinforcements in there. What's the fastest way to do it? Get that airborne outfit in there. So they jumped us in and, and uh, it was just, just that, that fast. I remember that the, the drop zone was lit up, but I also know that that drop zone was not lit up with lights. It was, it was, they were barrels burning. So who did it? I, I don't know. I, 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 but uh, the jump was easy. It was after the jump that was difficult. That was some great fighting. Some great fighting. The, uh, in, in the beginning, it was going pretty much their way with all the shell fire, and, and the 88s. And, and uh, uh, we, we, had to get, we had to get 
objective. We had to know where we were going and what we were going to do. But as soon as that came in, we knew it had to be done. And uh, the assignment for for uh, the first bat battalion, as far as I know, was Hill 409. And uh, uh, we, we took that hill and held that hill. And that's the most difficult thing in the world for paratroopers, because you're light infantry. You don't have their support. What you have is what you're carrying. And we didn't even have enough to eat. That was four days and nights of steady banging away at each other. They'd come up the ravine and we'd fight them off and they'd shell and we'd shell back and, uh, oh, Jesus. That was, that was, that, and there was no water, no food, you, what you carried. To get water, it was kind of, we, we used to bet with each other. You'd take your helmet and bet how much water you could bring back, make it to the well under fire, get behind the well, drop the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the bucket down, pull it up, fill up your your, your helmet, and 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 uh, uh, full speed getting back the way you came from. Them snipers would be banging away. Ah, it was it was something to behold. Now, now that it's over, <laughs> now that it's over, and that that was tough duty. There was there was some good fights there. Good good fights. They they uh, they they'd attack and. Uh, uh, it, it'd be close in. You you, you could see them. You, you know it was you, you know. Get him out of the way. I volunteered to just just because uh, after the Italian campaign, which was savage fighting, we're over there in England. We're sitting down. They're going to replace the best regiment in the division with a green regiment. We're going to sit behind and listen to that crap. So you go ahead. But if McCarty can get in there, he's going. It's, it's the main bout, and I'm going one way or the other. Uh, we never got briefed until just about ready to go go in. I don't know if it was the night before or not, but uh, uh, th then... Uh, they put the the, uh, the the maps come out and uh, the locations came out and the instructions uh, as as to how it was going to to is uh, we it was going to work and they showed us where we're going and what we're going to do and what the objective was and uh, for my part uh, our our objective was uh, in that jump that the lead plane was to clear this uh, uh, farmhouse, which was an established uh, barrack. Soon, it was time to go, and the Pathfinder's plane made a labored takeoff into the dark English skies of D-Day. Uh, it, it was a full plane load. There must have been 24 of us any, anyway. I looked down and I see the, the Amadas down in the channel. I mean, there were ships and ships and ships, and forever you thought about how big it was being. The reality is beginning to, to, to come to you. This is the biggest thing that ever happened, you know. And, and uh, uh, now what? What, what, what? what really are we getting into? And uh, uh, as the uh, mainland began to show up, it shows up, you, you know, you can see out there, it's like a, a dark spot against the horizon. Now that that was a, a dark night, but the unfortunate thing about it is there was a full moon, and it was playing a little uh, tag with the clouds. By the time we jumped, it was daylight. That full moon lit up everything. Come out of those sh sheets. I could look right down at them guys down there shooting at me, half tracks out in the field. Said, "Oh, mother of God, you know." Uh, 
the dark would have been welcome if you could get get organized. And uh, but there was no. It, it was come on in and uh, 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 just fight and stay alive. That's all, all it was. They started to shoot from the ground when we came over there, getting close to to our DZ. Most of it was small stuff. It wasn't really really anti-aircraft stuff. It was. Uh, uh, the half tracks were whacking away, and and guys on the ground were were shooting, and uh, 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 and fairly, fairly accurate too, because uh, uh, one of them put a crease around my sh my my left temple. He, uh, <laughs> I don't know whether he whether he he scared me more or made me mad, but uh, uh, I I didn't like that because I was bleeding already and I wasn't to the ground. But uh, I, I knew I was all right, so uh, that's, that's all that counts. And then, as they say, see, once he released us, he, he didn't hold the necessary time, so I landed just outside the barrack. I landed the side of a well. Rogers, I knew it was Rogers, landed inside. Time we got organized, Rogers was already firing his his BAR, and then it went silent. So I figured they got him. Uh, I already was occupied. There were two guys that were banging away at me coming in. I got out of the chute, moved into the high grass, and watched them. They came searching for me, and and I let them search, and I let them go by, and I fed them a grenade, and I took them out, and that's what I was supposed to do. Occupy, I occupied them, and. Uh, the, the the problem was the the light. There was no way to be moving, standing up in that kind of light without being silhouetted. You'd get your head blown off because you didn't know where they were, but you knew they were there. So I spent some time in the dark grass trying to trying to locate a, anybody. But uh, uh, fortunately, the time frame I don't know whether what it was the that the main body was supposed to come in, or how long we were we were occupied on the ground. I did see some of the lights over in the field, but they were too far away from me. I know we had missed. You know, a second in an airplane will take you quite a ways. If we had more time in the air, some of us would, for sure, they, they, they'd have got us, because they were banging away from the, from the ground. But uh, uh, the next thing I, I knew the, was a wonderful feeling. I heard the drone and I look up and there were planes and pretty soon there were chutes. I said, oh boy, yeah, they're here. Once the main body of Allied paratroopers was on the ground, it was time for the Pathfinders to make contact. So I just stood still, let them come on in, wait to make a, a contact. And the first contact I made was kind of funny. I knew the guy was 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 green all right he was uh, he, he was laying aside of the the hedgerow and i sneaked up on him i was afraid not to because I didn't know how he was going to react and the next thing i know he's challenging me and we had a screwy password <coughs> see and it was tusky shatitsky so i i hear the tusky a couple of times you know and i i'm looking at him and Finally, I answered him, and I looked at him, but he was kind of relieved. I said, well, you're lucky, kid. 
you'd have been dead as hell if I was a kraut. <laughs> that's that, that, that's for sure. But anyway, uh, we, we'll go it together. I carried an M1 rifle, as much ammunition as I could, and a couple of K rations just in case, some, some grenades, which you need. But past that, nothing else. I didn't want any of that garbage. Because you don't know, but the one thing you know is your job is to fight. They laid in a barrage like you never seen, a mortise. And there's nothing more dangerous in the world than mortise because they come down and land in your pocket. <laughs> We're caught in the open field. Well, it wasn't an open field, but we're behind these guys. So they got, some of them got holes. Uh, 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 there are, right? Cates and I went down. Flattened me. I, I went out for a while, but they, 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 uh, they, they, uh, they filled me up with lead anyway from from my well the head my back my 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 legs I I, I was bleeding and I and uh, when I woke up Kate's was there and Kate's had got a bat in the leg and uh, uh, I looked at him I said well look we're not going to get any help here we got to get out of here and the only the only, the only way we're going to get any help we're hurting because it's the first time anybody ever put me out. I'd been hit before when, when I woke up. I said, I, I know I'm hurting now because I'm bleeding. So let's get out of here. Maybe we get back to the CD. The, 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 uh, the, uh, the, there'd be some medics and we can get patched up. I never forgot it because Kate's couldn't work to walk too good. And I was hurting, but I lugged him partway anyway, leaning up, you know, from his bad leg. And we made it in. And to this day, I remember that chicken-hearted colonel, and he's looking at me, and he said, Oh, you're bleeding. Well, I won't use the language I used on him, but when I finished, I passed out. And, and uh, I, I, we were inside the barn. And, and what happened was that I had lost a lot of blood. So... <laughs> I'm not the only guy who's bleeding there. Me and Kate's, there, there are others. And, and most of, I, I was, uh, I had lost blood, so, so uh, I had, uh, uh, I couldn't talk. And, and uh, I, they have a word for that. What do they call it? I don't know. But anyway, my mind worked good. And I said, if he, had, he hasn't got any brains anyway. But if he had any brains, he'd get us out of here and put us outside in the, in, in, in the ditch because they're going to shell this place. They've already got it lined up. They know where we are. Now you went into a defensive position. They're going to slam hell out of us. And they did. We were well trained, at least in my regiment. Strike and hold and never let go. And that's what we did. Just the idea was to win. But they trained us well. They kept us in, in good physical condition, which is the key to good mental condition. If a soldier ha isn't tough, isn't strong, doesn't have stamina, is, that affects his mind when things get, get lousy. Then, then, then he starts to crap out. But you won't crap out when you're tough. But the liberation of Europe was not just about Italy, France, and Germany. Many other countries awaited the forces of freedom, and Holland was next for Tom McCarthy. Holland was an easy one. It was a daylight jump, okay? Flat country. The only thing you had to worry about were the canals. And uh, uh, from my experience, I, I remember the jump in, 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 in Holland well, because uh, uh, 
sergeants either jump first or last, and this time I, I, my assignment was last. And I remember it so well because somebody had got hung up in the door, and now seconds are going by, and, and, and everything is calculated in time. And I'm looking out, and I see the canals coming up. Now, these canals are steep with concrete floors. And you land in a canal, there's no coming out. And I'm saying, oh, mother of God, am I, am I going to make it or not make it? Well, I'm here, so, so I made it. But, but that was, up, that, that, that was some, some scary minutes. Landing on the ground wasn't hard. We could organize quick. The German resistance at this time is, was, was very uh, uh, light. Uh, we organized quickly. We we, uh, uh, we we were pulled back, reorganized, and then the fighting started in days. I, I'm I'm not sure because there wasn't much action for a little while, and then the word came uh, uh, that we were going to cross the the canal, New Megan River. It was the big river, and but we didn't have any any uh, boats. So, contrary to history. The truth of the matter is, we didn't. And uh, my squad, I was given a squad to go up the river and commandeer every rowboat I could get. That's how we were crossing, and that's how we crossed. Every every available boat that was on that side, we we, we commandeered it and, and took it back. And we crossed that under, under uh, rifle fire to the other side, fighting a... Uh, was 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 intense then, because the uh, the pressure from one side, our side, was was on the bridges, and we were on the other side, the German side, and and uh, uh, being sure that uh, uh, whatever was what resistance there was, if it was cleared off before the bridge, anything on the bridge wasn't going to make it, you know, because we we in fact. Uh, uh, there was some pretty good fighting right there. Them, them cards were tough guys, but uh, uh, after, after after the uh, after the bridges, it it, uh, it it became a little little uh, static. I had one lousy assignment. I had a, was a small bridge. I don't I don't remember the name of it. it. Was only a small bridge, and B Company got the assignment to uh, uh, to cross the bridge. Well, how I got involved, I don't know, except I got the assignment, take your squad up town, support B Company, we're going to take that bridge. Uh, I remember that captain to this day. Anyway, <laughs> he gives me the assignment that he assault. I'm A Company, I'm support. Oh, no, no. Uh, 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 I, I lost four guys on that one. I never forgave that SOB. And you know what I'm worst enemy was the Germans had moved up they had a name for it and I, and I don't remember now but they were all old timers some of them had soldiered in in World War one and their instructions were to delay they were good shots good snipers in fact one of them killed my corporal took him right right through through the head and it was a long shot the uh, uh, the uh, uh, and then, of course, if you got close to them, their instructions were to surrender. Because the Germans' mentality, which was right, figured that for every prisoner you had, you had a release men to take care of them. So these, these old-timers were told, delay, pot shot, 
get as many as you can in, and then yell handy ho. Well, that was a, I, I remember that assignment. It was a dirty one, but uh, I didn't like losing guys, and I, I was a little bit mad. And uh, I'm afraid the good Lord isn't going to forgive me, but there were no handy hoes that day. I didn't give a GD, and, and, and some of my friends felt the same. And, and then the, 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 uh, the sad part about it was, and this is a story I seldom ever tell, I pulled into the CP because actually I, I, I'm done. You know, no, my, my squad, what's left of them, should be joining a, a company. Now, we're on the other side, the canal. So, okay, you got your bridge, you got it secured, now what do you want? So I'm going over to see uh, uh, this captain and uh, ask him... Uh, uh, the only reason I, I, I'm not using his name is because it, because he he was a pretty good soldier, but he and I just you know so so anyway, there was a photographer, not a photographer, uh, uh, a correspondent there, a war correspondent was there. He's telling the war correspondent about the assault on the bridge, and I listened. You know, it was pretty accurate, but I noticed something was missing. So I asked him, I called him by name, hey, Captain, uh, uh, you left out something, didn't you? And he looked at me and he was a little embarrassed. I said, did you tell him who made the assault for you? Uh, 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 uh. The guy looked at me and he says, what? I said, well, he should tell you that the first squad from A Company made that assault and I lost four of them getting here. Oh, he didn't like that and I didn't care at that stage because uh, I don't make any bones about it. I, I, I had a... Uh, I, I don't mind fighting anybody. I, I, when I'm mad, it didn't make no difference. Uh, and and uh, took my squad and went back to A Company. Then we went into static positions for for a while. Holland uh, settled down fast after the bridges were secured, because if you re, if you remember in the history book, the the thing about it all was they were looking to get the town of Arnheim. That, that was the English objective, and, and, and there was already English soldiers there. And we were supposed to reorganize and move on to Arnheim, which we could have and which we should have, but the orders came wrong. I don't know where they came from, but I, I remember. In my honest opinion, we would have made that easily. But, I, I, you know, who, who, who am I? But I but I was doing the fighting, and, and I know the cuts were moving back, and I knew... Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little example of why I knew it, because for the first time ever in a static position, we got orders, the orders came up and it told us to pull back. We never pulled back ever a foot. And most of us didn't like that. So, but the words come, pull back, okay? All right, so, you, you, you. I remember walking down the road and I'm carrying a light machine gun because we used to trade them off. They were heavy and you know, walking. Come around a bend, and as far as I could see, there were tanks. There were English tanks. I said, Mother of God. And they're sitting around making tea. And then this is a true story. I was eating an apple. Come by an orchard, reached up and got an apple. <laughs> it's, 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 it's kind of comical because we, we, we've been dug in up there and you're not eating anything, whatever you can get. And then Limey says, will you look at the young sergeant Colin carrying a machine gun? I whacked him right in the head with that apple. It was a beautiful shot. He's looking I would have turned a machine gun on him. I was so GD mad. He, 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 he's sitting over there having his tea. 
I'm eating the first apple I've seen in a while, first food in a while, and, and the young sergeant. I, oh, Jesus, I would. That, I shouldn't be telling you them stories, but uh, but that was that was that's part of the whole thing because there were some bad times and some good times. There were some bad times in Holland because being dug in, you know, you, you take a, a defensive position is the worst. Once on the defensive and waiting out the shelling and the killing, the sights and sounds of war took their toll. But you can't be. You, 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 you. What's a funny thing? What do they all forget about is, the longer you go, the more you become involved personally, the more regression. And the regression, you don't realize it until one day you say, wait a minute. It's, it's got easy, and it's not supposed to get easy. You, 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 things that would have probably appalled you at the time are just routine now, and that's a terrible feeling. It, uh, you, you, you regress, you begin to think like an animal. And if you think like one, pretty soon, you're going to act like one. In the beginning, you're just another guy from the neighborhood. You're just fighting because you're patriotic. This is a job to do. Now, after a while, you realize survival is, is, is the thing. Nobody really wants to die. So you get tougher, you get meaner, and, and you realize that that's the only way you're going to survive. You have to be tough and you have to be mean. And that's contrary to most of our natures. Particularly, you take a kid raised, an Irish Catholic kid raised uh, uh, entirely different than that. Well, we... Neighborhood kids are all taught to fight, but this is another type of fighting. You take advantage of anything you can, and you do it, because you survive. And that's what I say, it's regression. And, uh, well, that comes later in my life, but uh, I, I mean, in my career. But I, but I guess it was setting in. You just, you, you, get, uh, you get pretty callous. I fought seven major engagements, and I'm still here to talk about it. And which, of course, was in the hands of God, nobody else. Because it, it, uh, there were a lot of good times. They weren't all bad times. Met some wonderful people, real guys, guys that uh, you eat with, you sleep with, and you die with. Uh, nobody ever summed that up. Kipling's, his, his uh, previous to his book, The uh, Barroom Barracks, he, he summed it all up when he said, uh, I have eaten your bread and salt, I drunk your water and wine, the life that you lived, the uh, deaths that you died, I lived, uh, uh, I, I get screwed up. But the life that you lived was mine, is, is the key to it all. And that's what it was. We all lived the same life. All seen it, and like I said before, maybe a little bit different. We all come out with the same answer. You suffered together, you played together, you 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 you, you watched your friends die, you got hit, you suffered with them. It was in a sense the life of a combat soldier. We we lived it all. Those of us that were were, were real combat soldiers. It was a job. I did the best I could. Sometimes I wish I did it a little bit better, but I, I know one thing, gave it my best shot, never backed down, never. So uh, that, that's, that's all there is to it. I mean, just to say, how, how do you feel? I, I, I wish you uh, proud most of the time, but not necessarily because I was a, 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 a part of that point. 
but because uh, I think I, I was part of the best fighting machine the world ever seen. Francis Lamoureux was another brave U.S. Army Pathfinder. The following is an in-depth interview discussing his experiences in Normandy in his own words. Hello, we have this superb podcast called We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by Billy Joel. It is the most original, fascinating, and random way to learn the story of the 20th century. Oh, pretty darned random. And we are joined by some pretty incredible guests. I only wrote stuff that I wanted to hear. If it turned out to be a hit, it was pure dumb luck. With me, Katie Puckrick. And me, Tom Fordyce. This is We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by me, Billy Joel. They say, okay, it's time to go. So we have to, we have to put all our gear on, and we have to get the parachute on. Then after you get the parachute, then try to buckle up, get the harness, you know, get this. Next thing you know, you're so loaded down with all your equipment. You've got bandoliers of ammunition. You've got all your pockets loaded with K-rations. You have grenades all over you. And then trying to get in the plane, you, couldn't, you could hardly move. So someone had to heave you. You had to heave hole, get you up through the door of the plane to get in the plane. And finally, we get in the plane, take our seats. <sighs> what a relief to get in there sit, sitting down after a while. With all that equipment was heavy. So then finally, the, the engines start revving up. And the next thing you know, it's okay, we're going to take off. Down the runway, the door's open. There's no door on the plane. Doors wide open all the way across. They don't bother shutting the door. We're going to jump out. That We weren't going to take any chances. They couldn't open the door. They left the door open to make sure we were going to get out of that plane. So finally we take off, and by that time it was, uh, oh, it couldn't have been about 11.30 at night. It was 11 o'clock at night. They were on double daylight saving time. It was still light when they took the picture of us outside the plane. So by the time we took off, it was just starting to get dusk and dark, and you know, we could start seeing the lights pull. Of course, there was a blackout. So that means you, once you took off, you wouldn't see many lights again. And we took off, we kept on flying, flying. We heading south from our base, which was up in Falkingham, of, of all the names, F-O-L-K-I-N-G-H-A-M. That was the, where the air base was, where we took off. And finally, we head out across the ocean. I guess we were going down along the southern coast of England. And when we started, turned out across the channel, we headed to between the islands of Guernsey and Jersey. Well, that was the first time we saw any action because we could see ACAC coming up when we got to Ireland. And at that time, we didn't even know that the Germans were holding those islands. They were, they were British islands, but the Germans were on the, those two islands. And, uh, but here comes the ACAC. We're flying right in between. So next thing you know, I couldn't have been, it couldn't have been more than a minute or two minutes when we got the word, stand up, get ready, it's a hookup. So here we're hitting the coast of Normandy, and we could look down, we see land again, it's the Cherbourg Peninsula. But we could see the moon, because the moon was out when we came over, and you could see the moon glimmering from the surface of the ocean, or the channel underneath from the water. So. Fed, oh, Richardson in front of me, number three and four. We were able to look out the door of the plane. We could look down and we could see what was going on. The rest of the guys down the plane didn't have much of a, they didn't have much of a, a sight of what was going on. Finally, the word, get up. So then it's hard to get, you know, get up on your feet. Once you're up on your feet, then you get the most, next to the red light. Then finally you say, okay, stand up and hook up. So we have hook up on, this, on the cable 
And then Lieutenant Williams goes out, equipment check. So we check the equipment, we everything by the numbers, one okay, two okay, three okay, all the way down the line. Then after everyone had, had their equipment checked, and everything was hooked up right, and their chute looks like the pack tray was in the right direction, then he came down, he got him, put himself in back of me, and he hooked up in back of me. So he was a number five man out of the plane, Lieutenant Gene Williams. So then next thing you know, as we then all of a sudden we start seeing all this stuff coming up, and you could hear you could hear the vibration from the ACA and the uh, and the vibration of the plane, you know, accentuated the whole thing. And it suddenly it felt I was standing there, you know. We knew we had to jump. When are we going to get the When are we going to get the word to go to get the green light to jump? And we're eager. Everyone's you know just pushing. You want to get out of that plane as fast as you can. So we look. And I felt as though I was in a, first I said, this is like being inside a popcorn popper. Everything's popping underneath thy feet. And the next thing I said, oh my God, those are real bullets coming up. And if, if those start penetrating the fuselage of the plane, they're gonna go right through my feet. I was, I was going, I was, my toes were going like this. Inside. I said, I hope the bullets don't come, <laughs> come up right through our feet. So, and then, of course, as everyone describes Roman candles, and that's exactly what it was like. You, you looked like you were flying through a fireworks display of Roman candles coming up all around you. So finally, the word comes, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna go, green light's on. So one, okay, one, two, three, four. So finally, I'm off the plane, right, be, right, uh, right behind Fayette and, and and Lieutenant Gene Williams is right in back of me. And then you've got Jefferson and the rest of the, Barbio and, the, and Charlie Rogers and Stott and the rest of the crew. And once I got out of the plane, I, I, I remember that the opening shock wasn't bad at all. I figured with all that weight, I was going to blow a panel. I'd probably go all the way down and crash into the ground because I'd blown a panel when we were in maneuvers in Tennessee, and I knew what a hell of a hard landing I had there, and I didn't have half the equipment on that I was jumping into combat. Anyway, I, my chute opened. I knew it was open. I said, hell, I'm not going to check my canopy. You're supposed to look up, what's, what the hell's looking up there? It's dark. What am I going to see? I want to see what's down there. So next thing you know, I start oscillating. So I, I, I swing like that. Then I went back and started swinging the other way, too. Then I started swinging the other way. And the next thing you know, I hit the ground. Boy, that was fast. You know, usually maybe five or six oscillations. I think I was down in about three or four, it seemed like three or four oscillations, bang, I was on the ground. And I, as soon as I hit the ground, geez, it was easy. Because we were in an apple orchard, the ground was soft, it wasn't hard, I wasn't on any pavement, it had been tilled, you know, the farmers had taken care of it. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm lying flat on my belly, and then I rolled over and I took off my chute, Got out of my chute. I had no trouble getting out of my chute. I figured maybe I'd have to struggle to get out of the harness to get the buckles loosened. I got out of my chute. And as soon as I got out of my chute, I took my Eureka set. I got that Eureka set off and I just set it in front of me. And I was lying down there, just taking, breathing a sigh of relief. This is over. Well, now that's the worst part is over. At least we're on the ground. I didn't know what was happening to the rest of the guys that came behind me. I don't think I had my Rebecca, or my Eureka set on the ground more than two or three seconds, maybe 10 seconds, and all of a sudden, there's Lieutenant Gene Williams comes over to me. He was right in back of me. He got out of his suit fast, he was over. He says, Lamar, are you okay? 
Yeah, and then next to the old Richardson, who was in front of me. He's there. So the three of us were out together. Then Sergeant Barbio was there, so there were four of us. And then finally the others, so we all started saying, well, we're here, we're here. So the first thing that William says, okay, how was your Eureka set? Is it okay? I said, yes, it looks, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I had a nice soft landing, everything looks okay. I, I said, do you want me to test it? He said, no, wait wait a while, don't, don't, don't start sending a signal yet. He said, Barbio and I are gonna go out and we're reconnoitering and see what kind of a DZ we have here. Check our position. So I said, you hang, hold still here, just wait until we come back. So they took off. Barbio and Lieutenant Gene Williams took off and they went off to see if they could find a little farmhouse or something you know, and then they come back. So finally they came back and said, well, we're not gonna find any better place than this. We don't have time to move anywhere. We gotta send the signal. Start sending the signal. So he gave me the order right away. And Richardson, who had crawled over to me, and he had his set. So the two of us were side by side. And I have my Eureka set, he had his Eureka set. So William said, okay, you, Lamro, you send the signal. So <laughs> Richardson, he, he always bemoaned the fact that he jumped into Normandy with the Eureka, and he didn't even get a chance to use it because, because I was given. They called me the lead radar operator. That's what he called me in his story. He said, Lamro was the lead radar op. I didn't know until he told me I was the lead radar operator. So I sent the signal, and he just, he just watched. How long were you on the ground, and what were you thinking while you're waiting for the main guys to come in? Well, what I did tell you is when I hit the ground, the first thing I did was I kissed the ground, believe it or not. <laughs> I really, I pressed my body in the ground. I just hugged the ground. I said, and I had all these feelings. I said, I'm in France. I'm in, I said, I belong here. I felt, I, 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 had a, I felt a kinship with the soil. Norman, I, I feel, I says, I'm a Norman. I really felt that way. And I, I had that feeling come over me. I said, no wonder I volunteered for this. I know I, know I was meant to be here. It was meant for me to come here. So I knew there was- What was going through your mind then after the Eureka's running and you're waiting for Oh, the but then after, well, what, when, when uh, we got the word, when Lieutenant Gene Williams said, okay, Lamar, I'll send the signal. Here's what was going through all of our minds. We said, what happens if they call us off tonight and they don't come? We all were thinking the same thing. Maybe they won't come tonight. Maybe they'll scrub the mission just like they did the night, you know, the night before. So you can imagine that after we waited, wait, then finally we heard the drone. Oh, we, we know these are our planes. These are our planes. We heard them. So they come and we got them louder and louder. And then all of a sudden, when we see guys actually coming out on top of us, the shoots over. My God, we were ready to shout for joy. But the Germans were patrolling a dirt road right outside of our. And they were shooting. When we landed, when we first got there, we weren't, we weren't there not even a minute on the ground when we had tracer bullets going right across over our heads. One of our men was hung up into the apple tree and he was so trussed up, his hands, he couldn't, he couldn't get out. He could not, he has, his, it was impossible for his hands to get down to unbuckle his chute. Uh, he wasn't more than maybe 10, eight or 10 feet off the ground at the most. But someone had to climb up and they had to cut, cut him out of his harness. He was hollering at us to get him down because the bullets were flying across right over our heads. So they finally got him down. I always said it was Sterneski who was up in that tree. I'm positive it was Sterneski. So after the, plane, after the first two or three men that were saying landed right around us, then we knew there were more and there were more. There were more. They were coming. And then I said, oh, that's the first wave. 
So now there was supposed to be another wave of planes coming. So we waited for the second wave. Nothing happened. How about the third wave? Nothing happened. Well, this must be it. So Lieutenant Williams said, well, Amro, I don't think any more guys are going to come now. And so our, mission, our, our orders were to destroy the circuitry, you know, self-destruct. So we had to push the button that would self-destruct all the circuitry because we couldn't lug that thing around. And we were given orders to dig a hole, bury the Eureka in the ground there, but first destroy the circuitry by having it self-destruct. So here's Richardson and I. We had anticipated we are going to have to do it, so we'd already started digging the hole, so we didn't have to waste too much time when we got the orders to go. So we just finished, threw the, destroyed the circuitry, threw the things in, covered them over, and then we took off. We said, okay, let's go. We can't, we can't, we got to go out and fight the war now. But we didn't go very far because on the dirt road there were German personnel carriers that were patrolling the road, right? We didn't know that until we got out to the road and we saw these guys going by us. So one of, one of the guys would jump down on top of us, from, and he was, from the, he was from the 2nd Battalion, one of Colonel Shanley's uh, men from the 2nd Battalion, and he started with a Tommy gun, and he shot at them, and then we threw, threw grenades at them. They disabled the truck, and one of the guys got away. One of the Germans got away. So that was the first kill. That was the first kill, where we knew that we were really killing Germans for the first time. What was the biggest limitation for you as a Pathfinder? What was the biggest limitation of being a Pathfinder? Well, one, one limitation for me is I couldn't, carry a, uh, I couldn't carry a weapon. I could not carry a carbon. I couldn't carry a rifle, because I had to make room for the Eureka. But I did have a Colt 45, so that was the only, all I had was a Colt 45. But I still carried bandoliers of ammunition, so that once I picked up a rifle, I'd have all the ammunition I needed for the M1. And uh, not for the carbon, I just had ammunition for an M1. And I had the grenades, I, I had all the other stuff that we were supposed to have. So in a way, that was a limitation. Where were you supposed to get a rifle? The first guy you see that doesn't need his rifle anymore, you're supposed to pick it up. Yeah. So the plan called for you to look for the first dead American, in essence, to get your weapon. Now. That's 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 the way you do it. Yeah, yeah. You just pass it on. I mean, he's it's no good to him anymore. So you just just pick up your weapon and go on with the rest of the guys. Huh? Keep going. Oh, we had some funny experiences. We had some funny experiences the next day. As we moved out, we did. We didn't know where the heck we were going. We knew what our mission was, where we were supposed to go to the bridge at the Murderay, and there was one at Pola Bay and, and uh, uh, Pola Vec. There's just different bridges. The idea was the 508th mission was to cover these bridges, prevent any Germans from heading towards the beaches, so that while the guys land at 6.30 the next morning at Utah Beach, because we were near Utah Beach, not we were nowhere near Omaha Beach. So that would prevent German reinforcements from coming and making it difficult, more difficult for the guys getting off, unloading from their LSGs and coming on the beach. What was your biggest fear as a Pathfinder? Uh, I don't know. I, uh, for a while, I, uh, in the excitement and the exhilaration of everything, uh, I, don't, I, I really don't think I... I think my greatest fear was when I was on the plane before we jumped. The fear that I was going to get shot up before I even got out of the plane, you know. I think the once I hit the ground, ah, I think this is going to be routine now. We don't have to worry about something coming up underneath our feet. We're on the ground, yeah. 
And uh, it, it took, uh, it wasn't until the next day that I, I began to have any, any sense of fear because uh, it's funny how we spent the night waiting until uh, dawn, you know. Where could we go? Uh, we were more or less without direction. Because as a Pathfinder team, I, I was dependent upon getting back with G Company and going back to uh, Captain Novak and say, okay, I'm here, Give me, let me, let me have my radar, uh, radio set again, which was the SCR 300. That was, a, that was a nice backpack to carry. That was a good heavy set. You had to carry the batteries. That was uh, battery operated. It was, it was FM set. Send, you know, send and receive. Not a walkie-talkie like we had trained it down at Fort Benning in the communication school. This was a real radio. And it was, uh, you know, it was necessary to communicate with the battalion and with the regiment and all, all that communication stuff. What's the most dangerous thing about being a Pathfinder? I think the dangers for Pathfinder are the same as the dangers for any, uh, any other paratrooper fighting it. The only thing is we, we have that extra load, that extra bit of equipment. But, of course, to take that extra equipment, we had to leave something off. Yeah? Like I had to... I, the, those guys could jump with a rifle across the bar. There was no way I could jump with a rifle. They put the rifle in a bag, you know what I mean, a canvas bag. I don't know if you've seen pictures of how they had the bags strapped across them. And, of course, we felt, you feel secure when you have a weapon. You don't feel secure with a revolver. You, know, cause you, you have to be practically face-to-face -face with a man for a while. But with, once, once you have a weapon, you can see a guy way out there in the woods, and you can, you can pick him off, and he doesn't see you. But you can't do that with a, with a pistol. What about going in first? Is it more dangerous to go in first? Tell me about that. Well, of course it's dangerous, yeah. But... Uh, Again, all, all the while we were in England and while we were training, I never thought of the danger of being the first one. To me, I felt to say, well, see, we're going to lead the way. We're like scouts. Well, that's what the French called us. The pathfinders, the word for pathfinder in French is éclaireur, and éclaireur is a scout. We're the ones that lead. Yeah? Show the way. And, of course... Once you hit the ground, the guys I respect are the men who are the point men. Once the company is assembled and you're going into a combat situation, the first man out, he's at the point. He's all alone, and he's the first one that the enemy's going to see. And so he's the first one to get killed. But then he draws fire, and then that alerts everyone else. He's like a sacrificial lamb. So in a way, I, I suppose, in a sense, we were sacrificial lambs in, in, the, in the sense that as a Pathfinder team, we were point men, and we were leading the way for the airborne armada that was following us from England. So in that respect, there was, we were facing that danger of being point men. Because of men like Tom McCarthy, Francis Lamoureux, and hundreds of other courageous airborne troops, the cliffs of Normandy were made safer for the tens of thousands who took to the beaches on D-Day. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of In Their Own Words. This program was created and produced by First Person Productions Incorporated in association with the Documentary Broadcasting Company. Produced by David Benson. Written by Rod Pyle. 
Engineered by Greg Bartheld and Brian Donovan. Narrated by Bill Ratner. This production is copywritten by First Person Productions Incorporated. Any unauthorized broadcast, public performance, or copying is a violation of applicable laws. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.